0: This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhallcom forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I'm so thrilled to be joined today by Derek Singleton, who is Vice President of Operations and Sustainability at Berea College in Kentucky. Welcome, Derek. Thank you, Megan. Well, to get us started today, I was hoping you could talk about how you came to higher ed as a profession. I know that you were in the private sector for a large part of your career. I was. uh, I spent the first 24 and a half years of my career in the, in the,
1: for-profit corporate sector, working uh, predominantly in, uh, in manufacturing and engineering operations-related positions, with a, a couple big companies you may have heard of, Coors and Sherwin Williams. And and the way I came to Berea was really sort of this confluence or intersection of, of three different things that were going on in my life at that particular time. I had I had long sort of had this urging percolate within me about wanting to work in the nonprofit sector, uh, not that. there's anything wrong, obviously, with the for-profit sector, I was happy, but I just sort of had this urge to want to do um, work that uh, did more than really just bring dollars to the bottom line of of the company I was with. Uh, At the same time, I was in a position that required extensive travel, both domestically and globally. So, uh, you know, I would be in for instance, Asia for two weeks and come home for three or four days. And then I would be in Los Angeles for a week and I'd come home for a few days and I'd be in Mexico City for a week and had four young children and just constantly felt stressed. I had a a father who uh, was suffering from Alzheimer's and so just had this stress and guilt all the time, uh, that was going on. And then, uh, then sort of opportunity intersected with that. Berea college, uh, had a position open and I, I was perfectly happy with work. I loved the the company that I was with at the time, but, but again, I, I had sort of this urge to work for a nonprofit that, that I thought I would probably do when I retired. I didn't think about doing it actively, but, but just the constant travel made me look and, um, uh, and I was very familiar with Berea College. I grew up about 30 minutes south of Berea, and uh, Berea College is a, you know, a unique institution among higher ed uh, schools in that we don't charge tuition. We give it away. All of our students come here tuition free. And, and uh, predominantly, while while we have students who come from all over the world and, and from uh, across the U.S., most seventy uh, percent, roughly, are from the Appalachian region, which, as you can tell from my accent, is where where I'm from as well. Uh, I was a first generation student, and and so we serve uh, half of our student body here are our, our first generation or thereabouts, and and with the students here at Berea College, um, uh, we like to say sometimes it's the best education money can't buy since tuition isn't charged. And uh, just to give you a little bit of an understanding of how that works is is not everyone can come here. You have to be a student of great academic promise and yet uh, have limited economic means. So, for instance, if you're a family of four and you make um, you know, f- around $40,000, you very well may be too wealthy to come here. And so we, we give opportunities at, uh, for education to students who otherwise might not get them. My wife is a graduate of here, is an, is an alum. So I was very familiar with Berea. And sort of, again, it's those three things that sort of intersected the, uh, the, the travel that I was, was doing and, and being away from, from my father who needed care and, and, my children who I wasn't spending time with this desire to work in a nonprofit. Uh, and then the perfect nonprofit for me, you know, uh, one that I believed in, uh, the mission and was, uh, excited to, uh, to be part of. And so that's, that's how I landed here and, and have been quite happy. Ever since.
0: Wow. And how long have you been there now?
1: Seven years. Uh, came here in late 2011. So, so I'm seven years in. Seems like uh, just yesterday, but time flies when you're having fun, I guess.
0: What part of working in the private sector would you say helped you to transition to academia? Oh, that's a
1: good question. I, I think just the the balance of, of what I experienced in the corporate sector, uh, uh, engineering background and, and a business background, both. And so uh, having managed operations on a large scale, managing factories and multiple factories at a time, uh, you get exposed to customers and taking care of customers. Uh, you get exposed to how to uh, managed through financial challenges, uh, managing people, uh, all of those things. And I think just that well-rounded experience uh, coming out of the corporate sector prepared me for this sector. And they're very different. The, the higher ed sector uh, versus the corporate sector are very different. Uh, the, the one adjustment for me was the speed. I think uh, the or the biggest adjustment when I came into the higher ed sector, in the corporate sector, you move very quickly. You, you use data for your decisions, and oftentimes you you have to make those decisions very quickly for various reasons. and And in the higher ed sector, it's it's a, it's a much slower pace generally. There is uh, a lot more collaborative, uh, approach in some regards. And, and so just the speed of how long it takes to do something or to push an initiative through or, or help pull an initiative through as the case may be, uh, is different. But I, I think, uh, the experience again, uh, just having been exposed, uh, to really all aspects of, of the business world from, from the customer or, or the consumer and, and how you bring a product to them and uh, really prepares you really well for higher ed as well, even though there isn't a product per se in the, in the, the classic sense. Uh, but I think it prepares you for many of the same challenges that you're going to run into managing people, managing budgets, managing projects, and so forth.
0: When you first entered higher ed as profession, was there anything that you wish you knew, maybe in hindsight, but you didn't when you were first starting out? No, I,
1: I, I think... Nothing that I could have known necessarily. I, I had sort of been forewarned that the pace would be slower every time that, as I was going through the interview process here, everyone kept asking, "How will you adjust to the speed?" And so that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a clue or a signal to me that that things might move slower than what I might have been anticipating or, or used to. Um, just learning the culture though uh and, and that's something that you can't really do until you're in the culture and and that's anywhere it's it's th- that same sort of uh situation occurs if you move from company A to company B in the corporate world even sometimes if you move from one location within company A to company A in the uh in the in the corporate world you'll you'll find different cultures and so one of the the most important things that you can do is really uh, learn that culture when you when you board. and I think a lot of times people don't think about that or or don't realize it, and you you really do. You have uh, you have uh, you know two eyes, two ears, and one mouth, and I, I think that's for you to to remember that you should watch and listen and see a lot more than you talk, and, and particularly when you're the new person coming into a uh, town or coming into a position, you know, learn the culture and how things uh, get done in the culture. And that allows you to gain trust, uh, to be able to to help people and to be able to, to serve them from the role that you're in. And so to me, that's the most important thing uh, that, you, that you always need to do or keep in mind as you transi- transition into a new role or a new position.
0: Let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about your current role. What would you say is most exciting about your job today?
1: Uh, The most exciting thing about my job is it's different every day. Uh, It is, um, uh, one of my colleagues calls me the vice president of the uh, of the uh, Island of Misfit Toys and and sometimes calls me the miscellaneous vice president because <laughs> I have so many different things that fall under my hat. So for instance, I have the physical plant, which is a large organization here at our college. You know, it's the group that's uh, tasked with maintaining the, you know, the, the f- almost 50 buildings and 2 million square feet of, of space that we have on campus, uh, constructing new buildings, that sort of things. So obviously, that's a big group and that brings its own set of challenges and, and opportunities every day. Human resources reports to me, and, and every day is different, obviously, with human resources and how you serve your, your workforce and work to help them uh, you know, have the tools they need to do their job and to be engaged and to be happy. And uh, But I also have uh, the dining operation here on campus. We serve a little over a half a million meals a year. Uh, that That was certainly new to me. I had never been around anything like that and learning how a dining operation works to uh, you know to successfully bring nutritious and delicious food to your students and your your staff and faculty on campus um, that's part of of my organization. We have a, a forest um, uh, We have a nine thousand acre forest that I have responsibility for a team of three foresters uh, who who work that that's, uh, it's, uh provides the drinking water for the community that we're in. The, the forest actually holds the watershed for the, for uh, the community of Berea in Madison County where we're located. So that brings its, uh, own challenges obviously sustainability initiatives and and what we're trying to do here with educating our students in particular but also our staff and faculty on on how to be greener and how to be sustainable uh you know from all aspects of living uh, it's part of the commitment of the college and so that that uh, is a as is a prime focus for for me and my division and uh so there's with all of those things, there's something different every day. We have a campus post office that reports to me and uh then also a, a new initiative that we launched here within um, within the past few years, which is continuous improvement. And that's where I brought from the corporate sector uh thinking, lean thinking, Six Sigma, those type of continuous improvement tools, uh trying to bring those bare. To bear on campus, and so we've established a position here of a continuous improvement manager who utilizes those tools and who works with different folks across campus to try to take the pain out of their positions. And what we mean by that is trying to identify those processes or jobs that they do that can be frustrating because they have uh, additional steps that that are done that may have been done for for a long time because they were taught that way by their predecessor but when you really chart out that process and look at what's needed to do in order to get the job done and serve your customer you know sometimes you find lots of things that uh, that really aren't necessary and so it really helps to engage the morale of folks who are involved in those projects and and oftentimes can cut a lot of steps and a lot of time out of their day, uh, to allow them to do other more productive things or things that appeal to them more or, or can help us further the mission of the college and support our students better. So, so for me, every day is different. And that's the most exciting. I know it's a long winded answer, but that's the exciting part of my job is that literally every day is a different uh, sort of opportunity to get involved and and do something and and for me it's a, a opportunity to learn myself you know when you're you're seeing so many different things each day there's there's something new that you can learn yourself
0: I'm glad you brought up the sustainability piece because I noticed that you have the word sustainability in your job title, and that's not something I've personally seen very often with CBO roles. How significant is that in your opinion? Is this a trend you're seeing in higher education or is that something specific to Berea? think it is a trend that you're seeing more in higher education. In
1: terms of involvement I agree that the, I, I haven't seen anyone else really have this uh, uh, this word of sustainability in their title like I have but I know that many uh, business officers are involved or, or, or chief uh, you know facilities officers are involved with facilities but, but it was incorporated here at the college. The college has eight great commitments and one of which is a commitment to plain and sustainable living uh, in all its forms and so Prior to my arrival at the college, uh, it was incorporated into the title in order to give really someone the responsibility to shepherd and to make sure that our sustainability initiatives have a voice at the table with the president's cabinet to be able to assure that they have the resources to educate our students and staff and faculty about things that we can do to you know reduce our footprint. Uh, in the environment and to make really a difference for the world. And so uh, we have a a full-time position on campus, a sustainability coordinator, which is not unusual for a lot of campuses, but uh, she and I work hand in glove and she uh, has a number of students who work with her. We are, I didn't mention, we're a work college. And so all of our students work a minimum of 10 hours here. We're one of nine federally uh, recognize work colleges and those students can work in positions all the way from from grounds or housekeeping to the accounting office where they might process invoices to IT where they work the help desk and and even into sustainability where uh, they work alongside our um, Coordinator of sustainability for the campus on various projects to reduce our energy footprint, or to again to engage uh, greener thinking uh, by our students and, and to teach them things in regards to sustainability on a on a you know programmed basis.
0: Derek, who would you say has served as a professional mentor to you throughout your career in academia? Anything you feel that you, you know, any examples you can give, and what you feel you might have learned from that person?
1: Probably, I, I was very fortunate early in my career um, before I came to academia, but been in the corporate sector, uh, I was very fortunate to to. You know, really blessed to be uh, mentored by a gentleman uh, by the name of Tom Scott, who was a plant manager and, and eventually was a vice president president of operations for, for the company I worked with. Uh, I eventually took his position, you know, when he retired and he really sort of groomed me. He taught me you know, so many things that you, that you don't think about, uh, you know, oftentimes you, you get tied up in the data or the objectives and he always helped me in many ways, but I, he always helped me to keep people first, uh, you know, and, and to, to always remember that, uh you know, you lead by serving as a servant leader, and, and to always have that sort of mindset. But he has been someone who has really stuck out for me through the years, and I've tried to pay that forward with uh, young professionals who who have worked with me in in various roles that I've hired to to really try to do the same to shepherd them and to to coach them along and and. Um, To me, it's something that's very important that you do, and it's one of the the interesting things I've been able to add to that here at Berea College, and it's sort of a sideline. It's certainly not part of my position, but it's something that I've had the opportunity to do on a number of occasions and, and enjoy is to get to know students who are pursuing careers. You know, they find out your background. They'll come uh, often and, and search you out. Hey, you you worked in the corporate world and you were uh, an operations executive. And, and uh, to be able to help them as they're graduating, put their resumes together, just again, as a side sort of thing that you do uh, to help uh, some of these kids along the way. Many times they have experiences, particularly in a work college such as we are, that they can bring to bear in a resume that they don't. Even think about that—that that, uh, that someone who is hiring would would be interesting to, or would be interested to see uh, that they have a skill set that they've picked up along the way through through their work here, or through their particular studies. And so, um, for me, I, again, uh, that mentor I picked up early in my career is is one who has. Um, it has really stuck with me and blessed me. A funny story is one of the first things I did as a young engineer, I had a, a report that I had to do to report on particulate emissions from a factory. And really simply what that means is in, in the processing or the production of the product, there were dust that, that's emitted into the air. And, and obviously that's uh, monitored and, and governed and regulated by, by the government. And so we had this software program that would calculate for you how much in a year's time that emission was. And you had to submit this to the government. And so young engineer, this completely wet behind the ears, green as gourd. And, and I ran the program with the software and took it to, to this gentleman who I mentioned as a mentor and, and said, well, here, here, here's the report, you know, to turn in. And he looked at it and he said, hmm, he said, uh, you know, quoted the number. I don't remember what the number was. It's a huge number, uh, seven million, let's say. I, I don't remember that th- the number, but he said, you ever seen seven million tons? And I'm like, no. He said, that'd be a lot, wouldn't it? And I said, yeah, it would. It'd look like a query, wouldn't it? He said, yeah. And he pointed out the window. He said, do you see a query out there? And uh, And so it just sort of hit me. And his point was, and this is something I've always tried to remember, is that you always want to use data but you got to have common sense with the data and you you have to really be able to apply a uh, wind of common sense to what you see does this make sense so often you you you'll see folks who'll will see a data point something anecdotal and they'll jump to a conclusion and you really have to take a step back and and have common sense uh, with the data that you look at or, or with anything that comes up and and i've I've always remembered that and I've always um, I remembered another thing that I learned from from my mentor early on is that uh, and I mentioned culture when you and I were talking a minute ago Megan is you, you need to know the culture early on when I progressed from engineer to manager and, and began to be responsible for people. Uh, one of the things I learned is it's much tougher to manage people than projects and uh, you know as a as a young engineer and and young manager, one of the things you want to do is you you look at a resume you want to hire. The brightest person and, and with, and that's good. You should uh, when you can, but you have to also be able to recognize, will this person fit the culture? Will they, will they listen? Will they take care of customers? Are they going to work with other people? And, and so you really have to, to, to also keep that in mind as well. And so those are some of the lessons I've, I've learned early on that I've carried through my career. Good examples, I guess, of, of aha moments that the mentor gave me.
0: Dirk, what would you say is the biggest opportunity that faces CBOs today as you look at the higher ed landscape? Uh,
1: obviously, I th- I think, and and I'm sure many would agree, it's the challenge of the budget. Um, you know, we are you know, particularly if you're looking at large flagship institutions, state universities, where state funding is is uh, being cut. Uh, Obviously, those you know affect everyone on campus, from from students to staff to faculty to programs. Everything is affected by that. And and while we're a private institution and and different, you know, we're no, we're we're not out of that. uh, uh, We're not we're not immune to that. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Either it's it's really the challenge of the budget. I think is is for everybody and. Particularly for us, we have that uh, challenge. We, again, don't charge tuition here. Tuition is, is given to our students. We have... Uh, uh- you know, so our model is different, but we're we're not immune to uh, to that as well. And so I, I think all business officers share that challenge: is how do you provide the services that you need to to support your students, to help your students be successful, to help your students successfully get across that stage with the diploma after four years, and and and, and be able to give them all those services they need uh, for the dollars that continue to get squeezed from from every angle. So I I I think probably that's the answer you would hear from most folks and I, I wouldn't be any different there.
0: Dirk anything else you'd like to share today that I've neglected to ask?
1: Uh nothing that I can think of. I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh to be with you and and to answer your questions and um hopefully it was helpful uh for whoever might uh, might listen to it here.
0: Well, thank you so much, Derek, Derek, for joining me today and for your time and for sharing just a few of your little nuggets of insight and inspiration um, for the past seven years from your career and beyond.
1: Okay. Well, Megan, I appreciate it. And uh, and thank you very much. Hope you have a a great day today.
0: You can find out more about Derek and today's episode by visiting the Conferences and e-learning section. Then click Podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Derek and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education.